As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I am Ron. And this is our review of Friday the 13th, the 2009 remake starring Jared Padalecki, Danielle Panabaker, Aaron Yu, Amanda Rigetti, Travis Van Winkle, and Derek Mears. Directed by Marcus Nispel, released in 2009 on a budget of $19 million, grossed $91.4 million at the box office. I remember distinctly when this one was coming out, Ron, went and saw it in a theater with the wife, wrote a scathing rip of it <laughs> at the time. I was not a fan of it, uh, but, you know, I've owned it uh, in a couple of different formats now, <laughs> so it's not one I've come back to very often. Um, Platinum Dunes and horror remakes have a weird history with each other. This is Michael Bay's horror house, basically. And it got started with those Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and then the beginning, which I'm not going to lie. I have a fond curiosity of both of those films. I'm not a big Texas Chainsaw fan, so it's easier for me to sort of let those go. But the Amityville Horror remake and the Hitcher remake and some of those others, not so much. They're record spotty at best. Well, if you put... uh... Arlie Ermey in a movie, I'm probably going to be happy with it. So, I mean, that that's a bo- that's a bonus point for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning. Uh, he was in the first one. Oh, he was in the first one. He was in the first one too. He's in the first right, one too. In the second one, they just let him do whatever he wanted. That's why that performance is so much better than the first one. I'm one of the few people that likes the second one more than the first one. And I mean, to be fair to Platinum Dunes, they did give us the Purge. Yeah. And and the Purge series, which I enjoy quite a bit. I, I haven't seen Election Year yet as of this recording and release, but I plan to get on that uh, pretty soon, because I, I like the Purge films as well, the wife and I are fans. They've, yeah, they've done better, but when they first started out, if you said Platinum Dunes was remaking your horror franchise, people people would get a little worried. Yeah, um, and and with good, with good reason, I think, because, uh, you know, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot has... Uh, you know, some good things to say about it. Um, specifically, uh, oh, what's that girl's name? Jessica Beal. Yeah, specifically Jessica Beal and a wife beater crawling around through the dirt. But you know, yeah. and it's always nice to see Eric Balfour in movies. So you know, uh, as long as Platinum Dunes keeps giving Eric Balfour work, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm happy with him. I wasn't keen on the Amityville remake. Uh, I barely remember uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I don't think I saw The Hitcher, but I think uh, that's the one with Rutger Hauer, right? Uh, that's the remake uh, without Rutger Hauer. That, that one has Sean Bean and um, 
Oh, what's the girl's name from One Tree Hill, the the super hot one? Sophia Bush. Yeah, Sophia Bush. Is, she, is Sean Bean the hitchhiker? Sean Bean is the hitchhiker, and then Sophia Bush is the preyed upon uh, person. As a matter of fact, I think... I think Jared Padalecki's the his Nash. <laughs> I think that's the one, but I'd have to go back and look it up again. But uh, yeah, I I've seen the Hitcher remake. I'm a big fan of the first Hitcher. Um, who's not that grew up in the '80s? I mean, everybody loved that weird, very weird film, very weird performance. But uh, yeah, I, you and know, also TV series. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, a very weird movie. It's one of those things that I felt like, and I'm not the only. The, feels like this that it was a movie if it had been made like in the 70s probably would be more revered than it is uh, because it's got some of that late mid to late 80s sheen on it that it you know doesn't entirely uh, work so uh, actually that's not jared padalecki in the 2007 hitcher remake so i'll just uh correct myself now that's not him so uh, it's some other useless person so. Correct yourself now before the internet does. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Th- it, it doesn't even matter though because we're talking about Friday the Thirteenth, and we we've come to really the end of the road here. I mean, all that's left is Freddy versus Jason, and the neat thing here is that this is written by the same dudes that concocted Freddy versus Jason, and that was the one thing that gave me hope about this. Not to spoil that coming review, but going into it, I thought, well. You know, I, I remember that one. That that wasn't awful, and so I'll I'll give this a shot. Sure, you know the trailers looked cool, and I had no idea what I was really going in for. I had stayed pretty spoiler free on it, and then of course as I watched it, like I said, I wrote the, I wrote a pretty scathing review of it, and uh, I think it was called like Thirteen Things Wrong with the New Friday the Thirteenth, and I like had seventeen and had to pare it down. You know, because I, I just I just trashed it uh, for whatever reason. But like I said, it was one of those things that I'm like, well, I probably should go back and give that a look. And it, fans that have listened to our Halloween retrospective know I did pretty much the same thing to Halloween too. And if you listen to me and Brian review that, I tell you it's not a good Halloween movie, but it may be the most interesting Rob Zombie movie that failed, you know, ever. And so it, it's a morbid curiosity. So I've grown to like it. I was curious to go back and revisit this one. Did you remember when it came out? Did you go see it in theaters? I did not go see it in theaters, but I do have a fun factoid. This takes place in the Transformers universe. Huh? Friday the 13th, Platinum Dunes Edition, takes place in the Transformers universe. Uh, the bully, uh, the the king douchebag uh, guy who looks like grown-up uh, Billy Zabka. Oh, Trent. Tr- uh, yeah, or he was one yeah. of the mean kids. He was one of the kids Trent. off of uh, of uh, Home Improvement, is what he looked like. So. Tr- Trent is the same character that uh, is Trent DeMarco in Transformers, who picks on uh, oh, uh, Shia, Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Yes. Really? So two years after surviving a, a Decepticon attack, he goes and gets hacked up by Jason Voorhees. Wow! Yeah, he does get it good. That's for sure. We're gonna talk about Trent because I got Which, words. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, you nailed it though, man. Billy Zavka is who he is, right? Like that is that is that is everything that his performance is informed by William Zavka, the great '80s 
uh, teen comedy douchebag um, <laughs> as he was supposed to be. Who, what I understand, has a great sense of humor about all of that, <laughs> and uh, like was in a music video for a band called Sweet the Leg Johnny or something like that, and like he, he ran around the, trying to beat the crap out of Ralph Macchio. <laughs> yeah, the song was the song was Sweet the Leg, and I love that music video. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's hilarious. Yeah, he also I think he directed it. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, really good. It's like him and the guy that played Biff Tannen in Back to the Future. You know, they're they're just the slimiest bad guys in in those '80s franchises, but they have a good a good laugh at themselves about it and don't take it too seriously and sort of enjoy their monikers as uh, what they are. So, but my favorite Billy Zabka bad guy actually is Chaz from Back to School. I don't know if you remember that one or not, but uh, oh yeah, I yeah. just watched that the other day. That's a to- it holds up, doesn't it? Just a, a little tra- digression here. That movie actually still works. So Super young, super coked up uh, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, out of his mind, you can tell. Like like fresh <laughs> like fresh off the set of Less Than Zero and yeah. just absolutely stoned out of his head. Yeah. It's amazing. Him, it's great. Keith Gordon's in it. Of course, Roddy Dangerfield's the star, but you've got... Sally. The late Sam Kennison, speaking the, of Coke. Oh, yes. The late Sam Kennison is the history professor. You got Sally, what's her name from MASH? I can't remember her name. Now. Kellerman. Kellerman. There we go. Sally Kellerman, great comic actress. The guy that plays the British professor. Ah, that movie's good. Go watch that. Large popcorn for back to school. Let's go watch that. So, <laughs> so well. Now that we completely yeah. derail the friggin' podcast. <laughs> well, look, if you ask me in 2009, you might as well have had back-to-school references in this because they sure as hell pulled in everything else. I counted references from at least eight of the previous ten or so Jason films that existed that and got, also, got shoved <laughs> into this. And, and also Blue Velvet. Yeah, and like two of them are in the first two minutes, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, like the first reference that I remember was the Blue Velvet reference. Yeah. I, I so We open up with them sitting around the, the fire or whatever. I'm going to tell you now, in my opinion, that all of that, all of that can be attributed to our screenwriters here, though. I really think Swift and Shannon are guys that they, they're kind of in... Damien Shane and Mark Swift are guys that I feel like are in the vein of Kevin Williamson style and... Quentin Tarantino style of screenwriting where they watch every one of these movies and they're going to put something that is a nod to every one of them in their movie and that's that's what you're going to get because at this point that's what they thought horror remake could be. If you're going to remake Jason which at its core, let's never forget, this was Sean Cunningham's great idea when Last House on the Left failed miserably. I mean, it, it made money, but only because people wanted to see what the hubbub was about. But it was by no means triumphed, you know. Not until years later when it had some cult following that, you know, on tape, none of us could understand. It, it was after he saw Halloween that he came up with, well, we'll just do that in the woods. I mean, this whole movie is a ripoff to begin with. So if you're going to remake something that is a ripoff, what do you do? Well, you rip yourself off. And, I mean, he's behind this, and I think he hired guys that were going to do referential writing for a new Jason movie. And the fact that, uh, you know, again, not to play by hand too early here, the Jason character really could have been anybody. (laughs) It's just a lot of, I mean, you can see people when you meet them, you're like, oh, he's going to die. She's going to die. Oh, he's really going to die. You know, you just pick them out of a lineup. 
I, you know, there's one surprise kill in this whole movie. We'll talk about it when we get there. But this this whole thing is concocted to just go off of a, a big kill nostalgia trip. And that's that's one of my uh, uh, the more interesting factoids I've uncovered about this movie is that the writers originally had it so Jason killed thirteen people, right? Like they were going to tie it back in to the point where. It's Friday the 13th. It was released on Friday the 13th, yep. and 13 people die. But uh, Frank Mancuso, of course, said that's not enough dead people. And <laughs> he added in the he added in people to die. So if it feels like some of these characters just show up to die, it's because Frank Mancuso decided we needed, like, five more dead people. Yeah, oh, they definitely had to up the body count. And, you know, for this version, I remember the theatrical version. I've owned the theatrical version. I own the what's called the killer cut, which is sort of the extended gore scene cut. It's not really any longer, I don't think. Which one did you watch for this review? I watched the uh, original cut. I thought about getting the um, – I thought about watching the extended gore cut, which is usually my choice. Then I thought, uh, I'm sure Jay's probably going to watch that one, so I'll watch the other one. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I – I vary on whether or not I prefer that cut in these movies and stuff. Sometimes I think it's better. There's one kill, though, that is very different that we'll talk about uh, when we get there. But I, that was the one thing my wife noticed, having not seen this again since we saw it in theaters. She's like, I don't remember it being this like violent and gory. I said, because well, this is not what we saw. I said, we, we saw the cut-up version. So, But it's... Uh yeah, we'll get to we'll get to that. But yeah, well, they were going to put Tommy Jarvis in this at one point. There was a talk of that. Then they were going to like have cameos from you know previous actors. And thank goodness somebody decided. Now that's a bad idea. And yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, what's your name? Adrian, Adrian King. King. Yeah, it was it was Alice was going to come back and be and guess, uh, yeah and Scout Taylor Compton. Speaking of yeah. the Halloween remake, was uh, attempted to get cast in the Daniel Panabaker part. Yeah, and they, they ended up going with Daniel Panabaker. I don't know how she would have worked for that. Scott Taylor Compton's got a real interesting style, and um, I've seen her do some stuff where I'm like, that's not a good performance. Then I've seen her do other stuff, I'm like, that's actually a really good performance. So she's, I don't she would have been an interesting choice at this point to, to do it, but... Uh, no, I you know they, there were a lot of things floating around about what this could be. I tried again to ignore most of the spoilers going into it back in two thousand nine, uh, but I mean, figuring I'm going to get what I'm going to get. It's a Jason movie. People are going to go in the woods. He's going to kill them, and they'll find some way to kill him. But he won't really be dead at the end. And I went in expecting that. And in some ways, I shouldn't have been you know upset because I got exactly that. <laughs> you know, when I went and saw it, I think it's all in how it's delivered. And we can get into that more as we get into the movie. But Ron, why don't you tell folks exactly what happens here in the Friday the Thirteenth remake? Here's the plot summary, courtesy of the IMDb plus <laughs> random things I remember about the movie. <laughs> a group of young adults set up tents near the abandoned summer camp where a series of gruesome murders are said to have taken place back in 1980, which we see the murders in our cold opening. Yeah. The perpetrator was a grieving mother driven insane by the drowning of her son, Jason. Does that sound familiar? Who she believed was neglected by the camp counselors who were probably off fornicating and smoking the reefer. As legend has it, the last survivor of the attacks uh, beheaded the woman. But then Jason came back, and now he is a vengeful and inexorable killer, wielding bows and arrows, swords, axes, and other sharp implements, including his famous machete. The legend proves horribly true as these campers quickly discover. Six months after the initial attacks, 
The brother of one of these campers is out distributing posters of his missing sister rather than heeding the advice of the locals. The police believe she took off with her boyfriend, but he knows better. The brother crosses paths with an uptight young rich guy who's having his girlfriend and buddies over to his parents' cabin. The brother ends up at the cabin himself just before the sister's attacker sets upon them all, killing them off one by one, including my favorite character, Chewie. Uh, but as it turns out, um, I ran out of steam. <laughs> Much like the movie yeah. itself. Well, um, let's see here. Uh, how do you describe what happens at the end of this? Uh, I will, they okay. go into you an got underground. One, you got one by one. They picked them off. So Clay and Whitney, uh, which I uh, have you even said their names yet at this point. Uh, the brother, the brother Clay and Whitney, the would-be girlfriend, find Jason's underground lair and rescue the sister. And they think they killed Jason, but maybe not. And do something like that. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna make it up because I don't know where my plot summary went. It was a good one too. Dang it! <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> All right. While escaping from the mass killer, Clay and Whitney stumble, or yes, Clay and Jenna, that's her name, right? Jenna? No, she's Whitney. Jenna is one of the... Sister? Big, yeah, Jenna is the sister. No, Jenna's not the sister. Whitney's the sister. Uh, Jenna is the would-be girlfriend. <coughs> Jenna's Daniel oh. Panabaker. All right, all right. So Clay and Jenna. Well, Okay, while escaping from the madman, Clay and Jenna stumble across a series of subterranean tunnels whereupon they find Clay's missing sister, Whitney, as they try to flee from the madman and start a cave fire in the process. Jenna finds herself impaled, but Clay and Whitney seem to escape. Or do they? Since this is a Friday the 13th movie, as our two survivors sit on the dock look overlooking beautiful Crystal Lake, Jason thrusts himself up through the wood and grabs Whitney again. Like a shark. <laughs> like hockey mask jaws. <laughs> and, and credits roll. I, you know, that's a very coherent and uh, somewhat deeper plot summary than this movie really deserves, Ron. It's pretty much, we see a black and white remake of the last two minutes of Friday the 13th one with the fan theory in place that Jason was just watching Mommy kill everybody from the woods. Mommy, who I would say is dressed like a woman from The Others, <laughs> or that she is from the Victorian era. Um, so he then runs around, and we flash forward to cold open number two, which is our first group of dead meat. So let's just start with that opening, okay? The, the rain-soaked Jason sees his mother killed in the rain, black and white. Um, I, you know, I, at least I can say this about this movie, that they didn't try to reinvent the M.O. of Jason Voorhees. Because it... There's been this tendency with horror remakes that we've got to overtell the backstory. Well, this one, for whatever reason, decided, no, we're not going to do that because it doesn't matter and the backstory is easy. He sees his mother get killed, who was killing because she thought he was killed. There we go. The dead woman is the guy kills because the dead woman's dead. Who thought you know he she made some people dead. He he likes people dead now. You know I mean that's how they went with it. And I have to say I'll applaud this movie for not over explaining Jason. 
Yeah, they definitely don't over-explain. It's the most perfunctory... Um, okay, this is why he killed all those people mm-hmm. that I think we've gotten since the second one when they bring up the fact that Jason is still alive. You know what? I love that word, perfunctory. I was taught that word in 1997 by a, a dear friend from Texas, and I've used it ever since. And I actually remember thinking that about this movie, watching it in 2009, like it was in my head, like a little chime, like, perfunctory, ka 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 You know, it's, it feels like this movie is built on that idea. And you remember what we talked about in part five, that one of the, the biggest flaws that movie has, and it certainly has quite a few, was that it would introduce people and then kill them immediately, so there was no buy-in at all to their characters. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, we saw this opening, and then we get to our campers here who get whacked pretty quick. I thought, this is going to be the whole movie, isn't it? And so it's just going to be how weird can we get this huge guy to kill these people? And it, I, I got worried early because, yeah, they, they want to blow through parts one, two, and three of Friday the 13th as fast as they can. They want to get to, like, the part four level drama and killing. It seems like they – the opening credits seems like something they had to go back and add just to add to the body count. Uh, yeah, you know, it does feel tacked on, right? Like that was going to be explained by someone, and then they decided, no, we should show it. And what the, that's the thing I don't get is I'm like, at least Betsy Palmer looked like a lady that could have been a cook at a camp. I mean, she had jeans on and boots. This woman in this long, flowing black dress – you know, out in the friggin' rain, that makes no sense at all. I don't think we needed to see any of that whole opening scene. Uh, as as fun as it was to see Ben Feldman from Mad Men there, and as much fun as it was to see America Olivo take her top off yet again in a bad horror movie, uh, none of them feel it, it. None of it feels necessary. I think we could have just started with um, Clay Miller like looking for his missing sister. We know it's Crystal Lake. We know what happens at Crystal Lake, and the locals know what happens at Crystal Lake. Can I tell you, I think, and I can't prove this, right? So this is total theory, but I am almost willing to bet that that was the movie. And then when they got into production, they realized, guys, this is going to be about 20 minutes shorter than it needs to be. We got to do something. And so they well, said, well, well, we'll come up with the greatest cold opening kill scene we can come up with. And it takes a really long time before we even get to our title card. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, what, seven, eight minutes into the film? And no. It's like, you don't get the title card until 25 minutes into tw- the movie. 20, I did not time it like that. Holy cow. 25 minutes. Because you, get, you yeah. get the initial cold opening, and then you get cold opening two, mm-hmm. the quickening. <laughs> the reckoning. The reckoning is the second part. <laughs> oh, you're, you're right. Yeah. We, we could also call it cold opening to electric electric boogaloo. It's a it could be yeah. We do get two cold opens before we get title card. Uh, but I got to tell you though, now for all the problems I have with the cold opening, and I'm going to go through them here in a minute. I will not lie to you and tell you that having watched that again here, that it didn't get me invested in the movie quick. Because I'm like, well, you know what? If you're going to introduce people and kill them like that, I mean, vicious, violent kills. I'm I'm down because I. I knew somebody survived. I couldn't remember who, and it, there was a relationship somewhere in there. But I remember first time seeing this, I'm like, everybody just got killed. 
that never happens. Somebody always makes it. And I, and I for a while thought, you know, Whitney was dead. So, uh, but even though she has all of the signs of final girl, she's there for like, she feels bad about being there because she feels selfish because her mom's dying of cancer and she's been taking care of her, but she is, her boyfriend's trying to hook up with her in the woods and, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. So she, but she's not the usual virgin in terror because she is going to hook up with her boyfriend in the woods, you know? So, and that didn't seem like it was a, you know, first occurrence kind of thing with her. So I was invested in it, at least from the, the sense that, Jason took him out really hard and fast, and I thought, man, this is it's a different Jason. But, I mean, Crystal Lake present day here, it, I get that they're going camping, but we got two people, Richie and Wade, who are out there looking for the devil's lettuce. Let's just say it. <laughs> and my question has always been, and it was a complaint back then, is like, did Jason plant that as like, you know, teenager bait? Or did it just naturally occur and nobody fly over that part of the county? Well, I, I assumed that if you kill so many weed-smoking teenagers, there's going to be some seeds that get scattered around. What's and that <laughs> this is just leftovers from – that's 30 years of unchecked marijuana growth. Was that, was that people – the mother killed or that Jason killed along the way? Because you get the sense that he's been killing people for a long time, and people – the locals, like you said, just know better to not go there and just leave him alone. You know, which is very Texas Chainsaw, by the way. That feels so much. That old woman at the house is so Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. That was another thing that that was the thing that the writers brought to this script that they wanted Jason to be more. They wanted to give him more of a reason to kill people, so they made him, um, I guess, territorial over Crystal Lake. Yeah, Derek Mears has said he based a lot of the performance off of the way, like. John Rambo just loses his mind in the first Blood movie, and where he just starts protecting himself against anybody that crosses a certain line and stuff. And I, I've got that sense that I'm like, he's like a, he's a super hunter, you know, and stuff too. In, in addition to being you know, a massive human being, I mean, this maybe I don't know how much bigger he is than Kane Hodder. I know he's taller, but he, he looks to be just a, you know, linebacker of a human being. Yeah, he's definitely a huge dude. Although interestingly, they they were worried that the uh, he was too nice to be Jason. Yeah, that's that's the word. Is that well? And people said the same thing about Tyler Maine. You know, when he when he got to play Michael Myers in in that first one, that uh, remake that uh, Zombie did. Uh, no, he's pretty good at it. He's just this menacing force. Uh, but that's the thing. He's, though. Uh, He's uh Derek Mears is six five. Okay, so yeah, he is bigger than than hotter than so uh, to be that, and he's I'd say at least two hundred and sixty pounds of just oh yeah just bulk too. It's and it's all upper body too. I mean, he's just massive, you know. And so you feel like he could throw you know one of these girls through the. I would have loved to see what he could do with a, a sink full of uh, liquid nitrogen, you know. So uh, <laughs> I would have I would have just have liked to see another. <laughs> Another sleeping bag kill. <laughs> well, we get one of those though, right? Like we get some real crazy stuff here. Like we're all sitting around the campfire, and of course we got Wade who has to tell us the backstory on Jason because that, that's for everyone who has heard of Friday the Thirteenth but hasn't seen any of them. So he's that guy. And while he goes to take a leak on some some weed, um, his friend and uh, girlfriend get it on in the in the tent, and of course Jason's watching them and. Jason, you know, is going to kill both of them, but he kills her in like this most sadistic manner. 
He ties her up in the sleeping bag and holds her up over the fire. So she basically just bakes like an oven, like a baked potato, right? Yes. And let's not also forget, this is the first time we've ever seen Jason set traps. Yeah. Specifically, a big honking bear trap that clamps down on Richie's leg. Yes. And, yes. and looks like gorily awesome. I mean, Wade's first kill is, is pretty traditional Friday the 13th stab in the head. But then uh, Richie and um, Amanda both get some interest. It's an interesting new dimension for Jason. Oh, like look, some planning. I love how Richie runs and finds you know Wade at, and runs back to the camp and gets caught in the bear trap. And the way Jason kills him is he runs up to him and drops that machete like dead center in his head and then has to use his foot to pry it back out. I'm like, ah, that look, that's actually pretty cool looking. That, that was a nice touch. I think it's a, one of the things like that they've designed to put in this new video game that's coming out on Friday the 13th. Like That's a, a standard kill move now from some of the, the, the action shots I've seen and stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, that is in the spirit, though, of part two and three and four, particularly two and four, because, well, the, uh, particularly four, I should say, because that's Tom Savini written all over it. Like, that feels like they're trying to pay homage to that. Uh, but in the same way, though, I wonder, are we losing something in translation because it is all going by so fast? And we're meeting these people, and we, the only one we get any story on besides the two guys that are, what is their business plan? They're going to cut a bunch of weed and then go sell it somewhere? I'm like, this? You're, who are you going to sell it to? The Colombians? I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't know what, what they were I don't doing. Even know, I don't even know if they were going to sell it. I just thought they had trekked oh. up into the woods to... to smoke it no no no. richie is talking about we're gonna have so much effing money we won't know what to do with it you know like they they're mm-hmm. apparently they've got a hookup somewhere you know scarface in jersey somewhere back home i don't know but they they think they can get the weed and do that and just like texas chainsaw by the way where they're going to the concert to get weed and only part of the people in the car know it not everybody knows it so that that's going on again they borrowed from that idea again and we, we get whitney's story where she's trying to let herself have fun while you know she's been the responsible young adult because her motorcycle riding brother is too much of a screw up to get it together to you know help her mom or help their mother together. So I you know that's I, we got all that and then everybody started getting killed and when Jason comes at her and swings I'm like and then it cuts to you know black and we get the title card I thought man he just killed like everybody. And I, for a while, I thought, is that going to be the lesson of this movie? Is Jason's finally going to win and kill everybody? <laughs> you know, that he's, that he's not going to be reduced to toxic waste sludge or anything like that. They're actually going to let him die, you know, or kill everybody this time? That was a, that would have been a really interesting angle to just have Jason murder everyone and be, they're not to be a final girl. There's just yeah. a final Jason. <laughs> But the thing they, they lay out about Whitney here, because they have this thing where Jason's mother gets killed and she drops this locket or whatever she's wearing around her neck that has a picture of him on one side and her on the other. And Whitney, while she's stumbling around this shack in the woods with her boyfriend, because we should say they find like Jason's lair out there, and they find a, a great jump scare, pull that uh, mummified head of hers out of a, like, shrine or something he's got built above the bathtub it's really strange what's going on in there right Uh, oh yeah yeah but they find that and then jason stabs through the floor to kill that guy which is kind of silver bullet ish i was i was down i was like oh cool we're gonna do that now so 
Uh, <laughs> we're calling back to all these other things. We might as well do that kill too. Uh, but again, another kill that felt a lot like Texas Chainsaw remakes uh, that I've already seen. She's running out of there, but she's got that locket the whole time. And the boyfriend before that drops this line like, hey, you look like this woman. And I'm like, no, you really don't. Amanda Rigetti looks nothing like the actress they got to play Jason's mother. I don't know how they are selling that on us. Yeah, she doesn't. uh, That actress is uh, Nana Visitor, who was Major Kira Narice on the uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, I think. Okay. Yeah, she was somebody on like a Star Trek. Uh, Yeah, Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, then they don't look anything alike. You're right. No, I so I'm, but I can tell when we find out later that she's missing and you know if she's the survivor here that that's the reason she survives. But it brings up a question for me: What does Jason want with her? <laughs> Chained up in the in the underground tunnels he's got there? Is it just because she reminds him of mother or what? I mean, that's some Norman Bates level mother stuff he's got going on. I don't think that's a question we're supposed to ask because I don't think anyone. Thought that far ahead. Well, I mean, they beat I, us I over the put, head with it, though. Yeah, they put more thought into it, and I'm sure that that's got something to do with it. That she does resemble the mom, but I mean, if if we're going by, say, part two, Jason's eyesight can't be good. Right. He's clearly seeing like a blurry face and some dark hair, and that's his mom. Yeah, he's got one so, eye. Like they set that up. He's got the one eye. Because so, he's wearing the bag, right? Where he's part two, Jason, and for a little while here. Well, I thought that I thought this bag had two eye holes. Maybe it did. I thought he had a messed up looking eye, though. But maybe I'm just forgetting. I mean, and have put another another Jason into this. But I thought I thought he had a messed up eye. So um, that the, the mask goes from where like you can see in it, and then you can't. And I feel like they they kept testing and changing that around a bunch. It it feels like. I don't know. There were a lot of different mass shots that they went with. Because the thing about Derek Mears is he's got like he's got really noticeable eyes if you've ever seen him without the mask and stuff. So mm-hmm. at some point they made a conscious decision to to really black the eyes out where you couldn't see it. So I mean I don't know if that was done in post or if it was done just in you know, with fabric or what. But it there's part of it where uh, you can see an eye and part where you can't. Well, supposedly uh, Marcus Knightsville likes uh, practical effects. So I would assume that whenever possible, they would just like smear makeup on his face. That's probably what it is. But either way, like you get these two kill three kills really here. Right. Um, And I, you know, Whitney's is seeing all this carnage and Jason cuts to the titles. And I actually wrote in my notes. I was like, that's a heck of an opening. I mean, it works, you know, but we flash immediately to a scene I call meet the douchebags and the girls who love them. Um, because we get our rest of our cast right now. Uh, we, I mean, they, they waste no time in this movie. Cause again, perfunctory is the, is the word of the day here on Sesame street folks. Um, let's talk about these people. Okay. You have Nolan, who is kind of a Matthew McConaughey stand-in, right? Like all, all he needed to do was... He looks like Matthew McConaughey's character from um, Days of Confused. You know, it's, it's that era of McConaughey. You've got uh, Chelsea, who is played by a British pop star that I'm sad to say I owned the single 
of Wyla Ford's uh, I Want to Be Bad song. So, really? <laughs> yes. Before I knew she did this, I had the CD single. I want to say it was one of those things I got working at the paper or something, like to review, and I just you know, held on to it because I thought she was hot and the song was fun. But well, I, my number one, she is. Yeah. And number two, she's a lot better than Vitamin C in Dracula 2000. This much is true. They both appear in that you're right. So I forgot Vitamin C was, was in something there. Then we have Chewy, Aaron Yu. Uh, who apparently has a contract to be in all these movies because he's also in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, so and in several other things. Yeah, wasn't he in the Final Destination as well? I mean, he's been in a ton of stuff. Was, I think so. He he looks really familiar. I mean, he was kind of to- uh, token Asian guy before John uh, uh, John Cho. Yeah, John Cho became token Asian guy. You know, so I I feel like I've seen I've seen Aaron you and a lot of stuff. We have Lawrence the the token black guy who does have some of the best jokes in the movie where they're like, you know, Hey, pump up the car with gas. He's like, you asked the only black man to pump up gas. You're right, man. I'm sorry. You know, I'll get the other white guy to do it. And then <laughs> later on, it's like, I'm going into the music industry. You're going to do rap. No, why you got a stereotype like that? Well, what kind of music are you going to do rap? You know, I mean, he does have some good lines and he's, you know, he searches for a Sears catalog later to pleasure himself with. So he's a fun guy. Yeah. Uh, between him and between him and Chewy, they were like um, some of the most effective comic relief we've gotten in the, in a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Yeah, no, they were good. You know what? They were as good as Crispin Glover and the guy with the computer in in Friday the Thirteenth Four. I kind of felt like that's who they were modeled after. Were those two guys? They, they sort of felt like those friends. You know. Uh, then you have Bree who exists to take her shirt off uh, for long extended sequences. That's also the killer cut that that sequence goes on way. T- I'm talking like Homeland long sex scenes, like where we're, it's it's hanging around them a lot longer than it needs to. Um, but she exists to do that and then to die uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night style on some antlers later. Um, yeah, and, and it also that that kill also made me think of Halloween when. Um, the girl gets uh, stabbed through with the knife and pinned to the wall. Oh, that's that's the girl's boyfriend, actually, Bob. Yeah, the but, boy, yeah, yeah, Bob. Yeah, sorry. same idea though. Yeah, you're right. It's it, she sort of she is kind of Linda. Yeah, you know. And, I, and then I fell down a after I watched that scene, I kind of paused the movie and fell down a rabbit hole where I looked up people killed by antlers in movies. <laughs> and, and there's a lot. Quite a bit. Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland got it in Lost Boys with some antlers, and yeah, yes. there's there's lots of good antler kills out there. Antlers are. Uh, that's a good weapon. You know, you see those hanging around. Jason's not wasting that. Uh, Trent, the incredible douchebag, uh, Billy Zabka clone. Um, but you talk about an actor, though, that I feel like they told him exactly that. Like, we want you to be the douchiest guy you can be. He went up to the rest of the cast and said, okay, look, I'm really sorry for what I'm about to do, but I'm going to be the biggest a-hole you guys have ever met. Tell me the worst thing anybody's ever said to you, and then I'm going to be that guy. And there is absolutely nothing redeeming about this guy except for the fact that he wants to take care of like his parents' place. So he's always fussing at his friends to like not break the furniture and not do anything. So it is hilarious to me how much of a D-bag this guy is. He's like a D-bag and a neat freak at the same time, and yeah. it's, it's pretty spectacular. But I go back to, uh, to a, calling back to previous Friday the 13th, he feels like the blonde girl in Part 7 that was at the party trying to hook up with the other dude and then couldn't, that had the shoulder pads. Because it's the same oh, attitude. Yeah. It's like that was probably like a distant cousin of his or something. Somebody he was related to. Maybe an aunt or something that, that he never got to meet. 
but yeah, uh, you got him, and then Jenna. The, you said she's his girlfriend, Daniel Panabaker's character. Is she his girlfriend, or is that the girl he just wants to get with, and he can't ever convince her? I think that's his girlfriend, and then I think he just cheats on her. I, I um, guess. I like you, you can t- read it either way, and it works, because we all had that friend in college that was way cuter and hotter than she thought she was and she always dated a guy that would treat her like crap but she kept dating guys that treated her like, like crap and cheated on her with hoes and I mean that's I guess that's who she's supposed to be um, her death is the surprise death I really thought we were going to get like two survivor girls she's going to survive and sister's going to survive because Clay's not going to hook up with his sister that's not we're not doing that we're not doing that part of Texas Chainsaw so <laughs> we're, we're not going there so I thought we were going to get both of them and no, we don't. They, you know, she she dies pretty horribly. Uh, in your version, she gets. I mean, in my version, she gets stabbed, and you can clearly see it's through her chest with a machete. But in the cut version, you think she gets it somewhere else, not comfortably. So because it's see, just her shocked face. Yeah, you're you're right because it does. You don't see like. Although I think I remember a, a, like a real quick shot of like the machete poking out of her chest. Okay, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's important. But it's like a blink, it's like a blink if you miss it, blink and you'll miss it kind of shot, though. Yeah, I mean, it, in the, uh, in the killer cut version, it's very clear where she gets, she gets stabbed through the chest. In the version you saw, it may come through her chest, but it didn't originate from her back. It was pretty clear that it, it, it came, uh, from underneath, from below. And that, that's a violent, I mean, though, again, I was like, this movie is ultra violent kills. And stuff, but I mean, they, these people though they are like every Friday the Thirteenth stereotype that we just listed off from the cast here, right? It's every oh, yeah. single one of them. We've seen this character. The only thing they didn't have was somebody in a wheelchair to get it in the face. And I just think just because it's two thousand and nine, and they're like, "There's no way on earth we can do that." Although we did see a wheelchair in Jason's uh, murder shack. Yes, right? And uh, if you listen to the commentary and stuff, that's supposed to be that he's killed somebody. That's supposed to be the callback to the person he's killed in the wheelchair before. That, you know, again, this isn't his first rodeo. These, those weren't his first kills at the beginning of this movie that that we see. So, I don't know. I, I want to talk for a minute about Clay here, Jared Padalecki, um, who was on, what, Supernatural? Was that his show, his TV show? And he still is because they can't. That show will never be canceled. Well, I, wow! Yeah, we're ta- we're recording this seven years later. And he's still on that show. I'm glad he's still getting work. That's great. Uh, but yeah, he's on a motorcycle. I I kind of always confused him with Chad Michael Murray because um, they do look a little alike. I guess he's maybe a little bigger and taller, but they have some of that same one tree hillishness to them. Yeah, that's definitely very fair because I think before he was on Supernatural, he was on Gilmore Girls. Okay, so yeah, so it's in the same WB central casting thing, which is that's who you get. I mean, I've heard for years people complain about those people in in these horror movies. I'm like, that's who you get. That's who they got in the 70s for people off of sitcoms and shows you knew. I mean, Nancy Thompson in Nightmare on Elm Street was on just the 10 of us. I mean, that was the idea. Oh, wow. You know, so, I mean, that's, yeah, you want people that people recognize. You know, that's the, that's the whole point. So, I, I get it. Uh, I, I like his whole motif here, though, where he's going around and he's not going to take the cop's word for it. And I, I love the scene at the old lady's house. Um, 
if for nothing more than it just reminds me of people from your wife's hometown where I lived briefly. Um, it's, I mean, that, that woman is from New Johnsonville and reminded me of people I knew there uh, back in the day. That. Yeah, I mean, really. But she's also like this – she's the harbinger of doom. There's always one in these movies, right? And I'm like oh, – Oh, speaking of, also in the the cabin. Speaking of Harbinger of Doom, we saw a uh, Crazy Ralph's bike. Yeah, I mean, there's all there's all that stuff, right? But in the, she maybe she's Crazy Ralph's sister or mother or aunt or something. But I love what she tells Clay. She's like, she ain't missing. She's dead. People go off in these woods, start looking around things they're not supposed to. They end up dead. And he just wants to be left alone, and so do the rest of us. And I'm like, it's like the town that you know turned its eye away. <laughs> From, and I'm like, does the town just let Jason have the acreage of the of the old camp? They're like, you know what, you can have it. <laughs> you know, I'm like, if so, that's a that's a great that's like from part six where the town before they opened the camp back up, somebody said, you know what, screw it, we're just staying away from there. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the thing you do. I mean, you know, Jaws never becomes a problem because eventually the shark would just swim away because there's nobody in the water if the freaking mayor doesn't put people back in the water, right? And I, I feel like if, if we had not gone where we weren't supposed to go there, kids, none of this would have even happened. And uh, that's a different turn, though, because you've always felt like before the town was trying to, like, cover up the bloody past of Jason. Now they're, like, actively involved in the cover-up. Which, honestly, it makes a lot more sense to be actively involved in the cover-up. Because, I mean, the only people who are dying are, like, out-of-towners and, you know, tourists. So what's the big loss? I, all I can think is they've got to have like a plant or some other industry in that town that the tax dollars of which are keeping it afloat. Because otherwise they'd be mad that the tourist dollars were getting killed. Oh, it's the uh, yeah, yeah, their town is supported by the uh, Silver Shamrock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, they got to have something else that they're making out there, or else you know they they would go no, we can't have our tourist dollars murdered because that was Amity's problem. They they wouldn't survive without it. Uh, Crystal Lake here seems to be like yeah no we don't want these people here anyway which again makes me think it's more like new johnsonville so <laughs> than, new, than new jersey um no offense to my waverly uh, uh tennessee friends there uh but look you know it's small town america but no I, I like that twist though i think it does give us something um but we're really all here for the kills right and we, we get one more person here we got to talk about donnie the townie I guess we'll call him, or the maintenance man, country boy. I, I kind of felt like he was sort of like uh, Charlie from Critters, you know, if he was oh, sort of yeah. sick and twisted <laughs> and stuff. That's a good choice. Yeah. That's a, that's a good connection right there. Clay's out there uh, trying to do stuff, and he's working on like a machine or something. And I love he gets all these just total redneck white trash lines about like you almost pushed the button on the whoop ass machine boy you know and all this stuff and i'm like man this guy couldn't kick his own ass probably but you know fine um and he's the one that drops some knowledge on us i never realized how much his exposition mattered i thought he was just set up to get killed in a minute but he talks about how somebody's stealing the old man's kerosene and they better knock it off and stop messing with his stuff and oh hey by the way i found a bunch of weed you want some and i'm like well, so Jason, like, is that's how Jason's surviving? Is he's ripping off this old farmer that this guy works for? Yeah, it's it's um. Have we seen a Jason where he's needed to worry about things like keeping warm before? 
we've only seen him like tra- change clothes out and stuff in like part three. You know, after part three to four, when he changes outfits after he leaves the morgue and stuff, and between two and three, he changed clothes. But otherwise, we don't see Jason stop to eat or anything. Like, no, we've never we've never wondered how does he survive. And I guess that answers the question: of, was how would somebody survive all the way out there? Well, they'd rip off kerosene. So, because you can't you can't run power lines without the power company eventually realizing. Wait a minute, nobody's paying for these kilowatts. Although so. the the whole camp clearly is electrified. Yes, which I, I got the sense that that was run off of generators powered by kerosene because you hear that low hum in the background all the time. Uh, oh, yeah. But there's another thing, too, and I want to ask you now. We'll just skip ahead. We'll talk about the kills in detail in a minute. But Jason kills somebody, and he brings the body back and, like, sort of stores it somewhere. And I'm like, are we trying to imply that Jason has gone Texas Chainsaw Cannibal? That was my assumption. It, it definitely seemed that way because otherwise, I'm not sure why he would, uh, you know, collect some headless corpses. Right? Like, is he going to put the other head on it or something? I don't know. I mean, it was Wyla Ford's body, so I don't know. I, I kind of wish they would have gone ahead and just done that. Maybe they couldn't because. The, they didn't want to get the complete direct comparison to, to Texas Chainsaw, but we've never thought about Jason as a cannibal before. That's an interesting concept to lay into all of his mass murdering. He's, I mean, he's clearly eating something very protein rich because <laughs> yeah. he's stacked three high. I mean, he's I, enormous. I think, I think he's definitely eating a lot of venison because the bow and arrow shot he pulls off later, we're going to talk about when he takes out Matthew McConaughey d- double on the boat. All right, all right, all right. That was a great shot. So, I mean, let's just talk about that. We'll just do it now. Nolan and Chelsea go to take uh, Trent's boat out because he specifically told them not to. And they talk about how hot that makes each of them for each other or whatever. And so he's dragging her around while she topless water skis, which my wife had the best line. She was like, you know, I get what they're trying to do there, but that is such a dumb idea. That water hurts when it hits you when you're water skiing. You don't oh, yeah. want your exposed nipples out there for everybody to, to you know. That that would have ended badly for her later in the night. So That was actually uh, while afford water uh, wakeboarding. I did not know that she did her own stunt in that. I did not know that. Yep, they gave her 10 days to learn how to do it, and apparently she did. Well, uh, props to her, because... It is a, an out of nowhere kill. It's not a surprise kill because you know he's going to get it somehow. You're just wondering, you know, is Jason going to sink the boat? What's he going to do? Nope. Jason hits him on a moving boat with an arrow shot through the back of the head. At, you know, after which he, is incredible. Yeah. Yes, and I was like, that's pretty awesome. I mean that that's a grand shot. And so then I was like, well, I know how Jason's been living all these years because if he can shoot like that, holy cow, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's impressive. So. Uh, I, I like that though because I thought the boat, you know, it turns back to head toward her, and she thinks that it's coming back to pick her up because she's falling off the wakeboard at this point. And no, it just hits her in the head. And I thought that's how she's going to get killed is by the runaway boat. But no, they they let Chelsea like swim under the docks, and then Jason impales her head, picks her up so he can get one more frontal shot, and then you know drops her back down like a cork in the water. And I'm like. We've talked about the strength of Jason's machetes before. I don't think it's ever been as strong as this. This one's made out of like titanium or something, man. I mean, <laughs> this is that uh, this is that space machete from from Ten. It's he got somehow it. got his hands on it. And maybe this is Earth Two. 
that all this is happening on. Just putting it out there. So, <laughs> no, I don't think it actually wouldn't work now because they did show us an opening. But if that opening weren't there, this could be Earth 2, Jason. So, I mean, it, that's not a far stretch. Because, yeah, that machete is amazing. Uh, with, but, and, you know, you talk about there's 25 minutes till the opening. Well, it's six minutes later and these people are getting killed. I mean, they're, they're not wasting any time on this. Like, no, nope, we got to start killing some people. I almost feel like Frank Mancuso was the one that stepped in and said, can we get to the kills, please? Need some kills, please. <laughs> Quickly. And we, we got to set up these two losers to die next, and Douchebag will set himself up. You know, I mean, that's how they're going. Because what happens is Clay has bumped into these people at the little convenience store thing, right? And Trent was a dick to him in line. And Obviously. Then, yeah, totally. Um, but, like, for no reason whatsoever. I was like, that's how you know this guy is just a total jerk and a chump because he had no, like Clay is paying him no mind. He kind of smiles at Daniel Panabaker for like two seconds, but that's it. There's no reason for him to just be a total jerk to him like that, but he does. Clay ends up showing up at the house though, passing out flyers about the sister again. And Daniel Panabaker, like, is she crushing on him or is she just genuinely a nice person? I think she's our one genuinely nice human uh, in the film because it doesn't really necessarily seem like a crush, but he is fake Chad Michael Murray. It, it might <laughs> it might be a crush. I could be. I don't know. I, I think mostly she's just trying to make up for the fact that Trent is a terrible person. And even after Trent sees that he's hanging up flyers about his missing sister, he continues to be uh, a Billy Zabka to him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's awful to him, even when he knows the story. And the guy comes in there, and on some level, though, this is where Trent has, like, actual human emotions for a minute. He does look at the guy and go, look, man, no offense, I don't know you, and this is my, my parents' house, and I'm trying not to get these hoodlums to destroy it, and this is kind of awkward, you're talking to my, my woman here, and I'll, like, he... I, I get the territoriality Trent has there for a second. Like, look, you can hang up your flyer, but you can't be hanging out with my girl and all that stuff. But then, he, of course, he goes too far, and you're like, oh, I just can't wait for the axe to hit you in the head. You know, because <laughs> you know it's coming. Because it's like Jason is watching this outside going, well, I'm saving that one for the last. I mean, he is the size of Schwarzenegger from Commando. I guess he could be going, I'll kill you last, Trent, but uh, <laughs> without the yellow Porsche. But, and, he, uh, and he definitely didn't lie. No. Although, you know, he 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 does he hangs off on him for as long as you reasonably can. Yeah, I mean, it's to the point, and we we will get to Trent's death because it's a it's a it's a good one, uh, it's a big one. But yeah, I I love though that that she's trying to help uh, Clay, you know, do anything, find something about his his you know missing sister. We got to do something to help this guy because this is that's just the right thing to do and all this stuff. And I think you're right about Jenna is that she is the one genuinely real person in the whole the whole movie. That's why when she gets killed, it's sort of it's really sad. It's like no, she's the good one. Like even sister was you know going to smoke weed and screw a boyfriend in the woods. Who cares if she looks like Jason's mother? That's killable offenses. So, oh yeah, in Jason's Old Testament world, I mean you know, that's that's what he's going with. And uh, we, we've killed two. We we get you know some extended scenes of people walking around playing beer pong and all that kind of crazy stuff. But we we don't waste much time. We got to get to the nighttime, and Chewie and everybody drunkenly break a table, and he has to go out to the tool shed, right? And I love Aaron Yu's whole performance here in the tool shed. He's like, 
man, poor people live in houses smaller than this tool shed, you know, and just he's talking all this trash about Trent. And it is a neat thing when Jason just kind of leers up behind him, right? And that, that mask yeah. pops out. Because at this point, Jason's killed Donnie, the townie guy, and he's gotten the hockey mask, which, you know, is I think Donnie deserved to die. He was going to have sex with that mannequin, and that mannequin was not consenting, so that was that was totally justifiable. <laughs> Um, you know, so he's, he lures it behind him and I like that Jason, you know, instead of making a big ruckus decides I'm going to do this one, Michael Myers style. And he kills him like quietly. He stabs him in the throat with a screwdriver instead of hacking him to bits and making him being a bull in a China shop, which Jason usually is. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird touch of restraint, I guess, to make up for the fact that later on he's going to impale someone on antlers and then throw them out the window. Well, Jason does like to throw half-naked girls out windows. Like, we've seen that happen several times. So, it's part of his thing. It's, you know, it's also another Texas Chainsaw callback every time that happens. So, <laughs> a girl falling out a window. It's just it's something they're going to do. Uh, but, I, I don't know. I, I like the restraint, like, like we said. I... I thought it was a, a good touch uh, because it it gives you another reason to send everybody else out there, right? Like, that's why Lawrence goes out there to see what's going on because the power gets cut, right? And the phone lines get cut. So now Jason's got a plan, you know? And that's another thing that's different about this Jason is Jason usually just killed you because you got in his way, you know, or you were at the camp and you weren't supposed to be, right? Now he's, like, purposely stalking and hunting these people yeah it's it's it goes back to the rambo thing it's clearly a more methodical uh purposeful jason which is an interesting thing to think about because it, it, he's large enough to be a force of nature but to know that it's a controlled calculated uh sort of danger makes it even a, uh, even more you know interesting to watch i guess the thing that I don't get here is what sets him off to kill these people specifically. Is it the fact that they've taken in this guy that's asking questions about him? Did the old woman tip him off? Like, usually it's because they're in the way. You've got to get a sense that Trent's parents have had this cabin for a long time. It's well-stocked. It's not like people don't go there often. You know, he had to have known it existed. So what set him off? I would say it would, it would be the intrusion of Clay... And also, uh, Nolan and Chelsea go stomping around through the, the forest mm. because they're driving pretty recklessly through the woods, and we know Jason doesn't like that. Well, it would have been better had they had one moment where like he jumps across the road and they almost hit him, and th- that's what puts you know him on their trail because you never know like what puts you know him to them. It, Jason does like teleport in this movie. <laughs> Three or four different times. Like he goes from one spot to the next, and in no way did you have any idea how he got there. <laughs> you know? And Jason's known to run, though. Like, we've seen Jason run. He doesn't just, you know, walk around uh, like, uh, you know, Michael Myers would or something. But he he pulls the vaporization and rematerialization quicker than most Star Trek Enterprise shows. I mean, it's, it's impressive how quickly he moves in this film. Um, I, I, my favorite kill in the movie probably has to be Lawrence's because it is the most painful and most gruesome. He's running away and Jason picks up a double-sided axe and like, 
if you've ever seen those axe throwing competitions on like ESPNU when there's no football in the off season and it's like lumberjack competitions <laughs> in Oregon and stuff, the guys oh, of do this. Yeah, Jason throws it that style into this dude's back and impales him, and we get to hear him out there screaming and begging for people to come help him. And Jason walks up and just like he's laying on the ground, and Jason rolls him over and stomps him through the rest of the axe so that it goes through him and kills him. I was like, that was brutal. That was a brutal kill. But and Jason only does it. Jason only does that once he sees no one's going to fall for his trap. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like I'm going to wound this guy, and then they'll come to him, and then I'll I'll be able to pick him off more. And when they don't do it, he's like, fine, <laughs> and just walks right over the guy. And it again, it goes back to that thing we've just talked about. Is Jason is all about the plan in this one? Like he's not wasting any time at all. He's getting right down to the nitty gritty doing what he needs to do, and once he realizes the plan doesn't work, he doesn't get fooled by it. He just keeps going on. Because when they do come out there to finally investigate, he's teleported to the top of the roof somehow. You know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, uh, Jason does travel around through a series of tunnels, apparently, and that was the way they explained his magical ability to teleport. Mm-hmm. But I somehow don't think he shimmied up like he shimmied up the fireplace yeah. to get onto the roof. Yeah, I don't know how that that happens. So, of course, at this point, you've got everybody back in the in the house. Trent's got a gun now, so that's that's not going to end well. You know, we we know that's happening. Um, Bree's running around in just a shirt because you know she's just finished up with uh, old Trent here, and I I really thought at first she was just going to get stabbed like through the shower curtain because she backs into Jason who's hiding behind her in the shower. So he teleports to the roof, then to the inside of the house. Where nobody notices him, so he can grab her and then impale her on antlers to throw her out the window. Jason's credit is a very cool, uh, cool looking kill. Oh, it's a great kill. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's it has the element of surprise from behind. It's got the gore factor. It's somebody that you want to see killed because this cheating hoe needs to die, right? Like that's that's what happens in these movies, right? The gorgeous blonde never lives. Like that's that's not going to be allowed to exist, right? Well, she has to be punished for her, um, oh, crap, what was the phrase um, Trent used? Perfect nipple placement. <laughs> that, and she's got, like, a camcorder part of the time and not part of the time. I'm like, is she working for Girls Gone Wild? I'm like, I don't understand. I, I've always, like, thought way too much about this and said, like, why does she have the camera? Like, I'd see if he had the camera. <laughs> but, like, is she exploiting him now? You know? So, I I don't know. It's, uh, it's a very weird scene. But, of course, she gets it, and that's the end of... Uh, of Bree, and we're doing the pickoff now at this point. So the cop shows up finally to help, right? And he gets a great kill. Like, and in the uncut version, when Jason hits him with the knife and impales his head through the door, you actually see the eyeball sort of hanging off the knife for a minute. I don't know if you saw that in your version or not. Uh, but again, Jason's strength in these things is unmatched. Um, I, I'm kind of wishing I'd gotten the uncut version now because that sounds awesome. As, I mean, look, I, I will tell you, the effects kills are fantastic looking in, in the movie for what they are. They're some of the best ones they've ever put in the Friday the 13th movie. If you look beyond the fact that you don't care about any of these people, you know it's all about Clay. And at this point, we've seen Whitney's still alive, right? Like, we we've seen that... She can. There's a little bell trigger that Jason has that if people walk along, they, they'll they trigger the underground layer where he hangs out, and she can hear that too. And so she's trying to like you know get herself loose from the handcuffs and all this stuff. And 
you know, for somebody who's been gone for six months and presumably living chained underground, she don't look that bad. No, uh, maybe he's, you know, maybe Jason was nice enough to provide her with some dry shampoo and clearly plenty of uh, venison meat to keep her healthy and to make her coat shiny and manageable. Yeah, something. I don't I mean, what's he... That was my question. Does he have like a Buffalo Bill thing going on down there? Does he like let want her to loosen up a little bit so he can have the skin? I mean, I don't know. It's I don't know what his purpose is with her other than the dropped bit about she kind of looks like his mother even though she really doesn't. Like, what's he doing with her? Why doesn't he kill her? Because he clearly Maybe seems to want to kill her later on when she turns on him, and you know that's not the first time she's tried to turn on him. Oh, of course not. But maybe he was like, I don't know, saving her uh, for, you know, you know, you hit a dry spell sometimes. Nobody shows up to the cabin. You know, people don't smoke the reefer you left out there as, as a trap. You know, mm-hmm. you, you're going to go months in the middle of nowhere without having somebody to kill. And you're going to get that itch. <laughs> and maybe that's why, like, I'll put a redhead on was, a stick and I'll tempt him. Is that, is that it? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like the, the the goat for the tyrannosaur in Jurassic Park. So, I guess he could you, have you that get plan. A, you get a box of with a stick holding it up, and then you put a six pack of Miller Lite. Yeah. Just wait when we get NASCAR back. So I'll, I'll have them all here. So we've got Trent, Jenna, and Clay running around at this point, and this is where Trent's going to get it, is by the road here. And this is another one of those that the town clearly is in on it and doesn't care moments here. Because not only does he stab Trent and holds him up with the machete, which in my cut of it is very long and very bloody, he then <laughs> sticks him on the back of like a tow truck as the tow truck drives off, dragging his lifeless body. <laughs> behind it. I was like, well, I guess that's what we wanted for Trent, was for him to basically become a hood ornament for one of the townies to drive off with. Yeah, it's it's, def- it's definitely a, uh, a rejected Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of kill. Oh, yeah. But it is a lot of fun. It it feels like one of the House of Wax kills, if you ever saw that remake, speaking of Chad Michael Murray. So, uh, it, it feels like that kind of a kill um, somewhere along the way, but I don't, I don't know. It... Um, Again, this this feels like the kind of thing that gets borrowed that it's borrowing from everything else that has been. So it might as well do that too. But we want him killed good, though, right? Like he can't just get a you know stabbed through the back or anything like that. Like he's he's got to die extra harsh. And it's pretty satisfying because it looks like he's still alive when he's getting dragged away by the pickup truck. Yeah, he's gonna have to bleed out while impaled on the pickup truck. Yeah, that's the that's the part. So. Because a guy like Trent, I guess, would would die um, <laughs> slowly or something. So, um, you, you know, uh, speaking of House of Wax, you know who else was in that remake? Paris Jared pa- Jared Padalecki. I did not realize that. That makes so much yep. sense. Because I, I always just think of Alicia Cuthbert and Chad Michael Murray. But you're right, Jared. Pa- I knew he was in another one of these. Jared Padalecki's in it, along with. Paris Hilton and watching Paris Hilton get impaled with a big steel rod. Yes. Is just as satisfying as you think it would be. So it, it was my, it was, uh, I, I was uh, unfortunate enough to have to review that movie. And that was my favorite one. I, you know, I would say that one's actually not that bad. I mean, it's ultimately kind of stupid, but there's about 45 minutes of it that are really good. And 
intense. And Alicia, Alicia Cuthbert running around trying to stay not you're know, trying to stay alive and not be, get dead is pretty good for part of it. It's when they get into the motivations of all of it that it just you know turns into complete mush. But um, yeah, that's we're, the, we're that's reviewing the everything except Friday the Thirteenth tonight. I, I think. <laughs> which which ought to tell you something about the the relative quality of this film what, what? and well although it is it's you know we're, we're that's jumping ahead but it references so many other things it's hard not to talk about all the other stuff that it it brings to mind no i think that's exactly what they want you to do they want you to be reminded of all these other things because then you'll go and buy those dvds and you'll rent those and you'll talk about those and they'll create buzz for those and then we can do those and th- i mean this movie is concocted to be a greatest hits of jason stuff and on that level, it works. I mean, it, it does. But we finally get down to our final you know, big showdown here or whatever. And as Jenna and Clay have found Whitney and they're getting out of the underground tunnels, the Whitney kill, the Jenna kill, rather, is the one that, I, again, I still forget that it's coming. And I'm, I'm surprised that she gets it. She was the good girl and she got it. I think they did that on purpose to have the good girl die once. It, it, it's it's definitely uh, an interesting uh, inversion of the trope. I I had assumed uh, uh, that Whitney would be the one to die because it's like you went through all this stuff to get her back, and now oh look, she just got knifed in the neck. You know what are you gonna do? It just seemed kind of like the uh, a fatalist type of uh, action for the movie to take. I thought she would die like saving her brother. He came back to save her. But she seemed to be someone who was on a destiny with death. Her mother was going to die. She had to be there. You know, all this stuff. And just because she made this one selfish choice, she will sacrifice herself when her brother has sacrificed so much to come and get her. I felt like she was going to somehow or another, you know, kill Jason and her at the same time or something. I've always thought, like, they could have done that. And it would have worked. But no, they killed Jenna. And so... That lets me know that they never really intended for any of the sparks between those two people to come to fruition for anything. Um, which, I mean, that's a speed to romance anyway, right? Like, that ain't going to last. You know, <laughs> like the, the yeah. intensity that this was based upon is, no. <laughs> when Jenna gets back home to college, she's going to be in therapy for a long time. <laughs> so, um, and, yeah. and Clay is going to go back to his career as a driver of a runaway bus i guess i get, i don't or whatever he was doing before he you know motorcycle gang you know whatever he whatever his career was when he wasn't taking care of his, his dying mother but yeah but it leaves oh, no. us, too, too clean to be in a motorcycle gang <laughs> maybe he's a mechanic i don't know but uh, anyway he uh he and whitney are now facing off against jason and i i do like the showdown they get with jason i mean they get in some pretty good licks with him back at the uh, the farmhouse and stuff yeah, that's that's a lot of fun, and um, it, it's he's he's a large, imposing Jason, but mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to be as supernaturally immune to pain. Because mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you see it uh, when he gets uh, stabbed in the leg. He act, like earlier in the film, he actually grabs his leg. Oh. You know what? I I credit that back to like part two Jason that would get hurt, and part four Jason that would get hurt and get beat up by everybody, and would like react to it and stuff. I thought that was a nice touch that they didn't go the supernatural route this time, and they let Jason be woundable. Like I think that 
it makes the odds a little more even, even though they're definitely stacked in his favor. It's not such a surprise when these people finally best him. And they have to get creative to do it. I mean, let's just say it, man. They they basically tie a chain around his neck. He beats the crap out of him with it. And then one of them goes and uh, um, throws it in the back of like a wood chipper that drags him and simultaneously hangs him while chopping up the back of his head. Right? Like, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a very cool it – was, it was a very fun kill. Very uh, – Fargo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I kept waiting for just the blood spray to come out of the back of the, the wood chipper, but I don't think in my cut, at least they didn't have that. It doesn't. There is an extended shot of the, the thing chopping him up and it throwing blood at you, but this, I don't think this movie is in 3d or anything. So they didn't do any of that stuff. So, uh, but yeah, but you know, we're left though. They, they take his body to the dock to throw it off into the, the the water along with his iconic mask and his machete and my wife and I looked at each other and said, Well you just killed your your evidence. So like see yeah, no kidding. the guy with all those maybe they realize like the townies here are gonna totally be on his side. The DA is we're just gonna have to run and hide the body. So and hope they don't say anything. But it's not over because maskless Jason comes up through the wood and grabs Whitney and boom, we go to cut. And that's why I wrote in my notes for the kill list, Clay and Whitney question mark. I kind of think they did what we were talking about earlier that they let Jason win and kill everybody. I mean, I I'm left to in this universe. They'll never go back to it again. The new one they're making is not going to pick up where this one left off or anything in this universe. I think Jason wins. Yeah, I, I, it definitely, this seems the most like, uh, this one seems the most like Jason is going to win. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely the one where he seems to basically overcome everyone, I guess. Um, yeah, and I think definitely this is or Jason doesn't let anyone live this time. Yeah, I mean it's it it is almost like the end of part seven where or six where he's still down at the bottom of the river and he can't move anymore at the lake but he's like you just wait till i get out of this chain that look on his face you know so, and, and he's just waiting around for tina you know at that point but yeah i don't know it's it's a different kind of ending it's it's a little nihilistic i mean it, to think of it that way but and maybe that's why when i walked out of the theater in 2009 i had just given up on this movie so hard that i was like oh this is this is horrible and went home and scratched out you know 500 words or whatever on it and about everything that was wrong with it so maybe i didn't get the point and uh i'm wondering though if the point is anything other than let's make this the most in-referenced horror movie we possibly can. We'll do all the things you're supposed to do in a Jason movie. And in the end, we'll make it ambiguous so we can set up the sequel. That will never happen. That's really what this film is. It, it's kind of weird to me that the sequel didn't happen. Well, you know, it made so much money. I mean, it was the biggest opening weekend of any of this stuff. It was like a $50 million opening. How it never came together again, I don't know. I mean, they talked about it for years. But I have no idea how they never got a sequel out of this. Do you know anything on it? I mean, I, well, one of the problems, I think, was the fact that it made all its money opening weekend and then just completely, like, crapped out the second weekend. But at the same time, does that really matter? It's a horror movie. Horror movies don't typically have legs. Um, and it made, like, 
it made almost fifty million dollars over President's Day weekend. Yeah, it more than doubled its its budget. And we because again, they didn't have to spend you know a hundred million dollars to to market this. They spent maybe seven or eight. You know, I mean, because this movie sells itself. Seven or eight million or seven or eight dollars. <laughs> I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say the ledger says seven or eight million, but it's also probably playing for a Transformers trailer somewhere along the way, so or a server that gets melted or something, you know, by the the friggin' uh, Devastator or something. So, but, <laughs> but I mean, you know, whatever. But no, I, I'm with you. I mean, yeah, horror movies are are built to make all their money in the first weekend. That's what they're supposed to do. It did what it was supposed to do. How could they not sequelize it? I, I don't know, but they never did. They, I mean, they tried, but they never got anything cobbled together. I mean, maybe, maybe it was because they, well, we kind of did everything in this movie. So what do we do now? They, they spent a lot of money trying to come up with screenwriters for the remake. Like apparently, uh, new line, uh, they spent like, Six million dollars or so buying scripts from a whole bunch, like eighteen unused scripts for like a dozen people. Yeah, like to try to get it off the ground again. It feels like what has happened with this franchise since New Line got a hold of it, and Paramount got back involved in this one again. But like, well, that was that was one of the other thing, that was one of the other problems they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a prolonged legal battle between Paramount and New Line over the production of this Friday the Thirteenth. Hmm. Well, I can understand that as to why it took so long to get this one together, and it is part of the thing that held up Freddy versus Jason for years. That was also because they they did go through about a dozen screws <laughs> to try to get that. Uh, so I I don't know, man. I I, I kind of tend to stick with my idea that they did everything they thought they could do in one here, and there was nothing left to do, and nobody could come up with anything convincing to the studio that they thought would work and make any money. So they just said, ah, screw it. We'll move on and do another one. So they did nightmare on Elm street instead. So, um, which was probably, in, well, that was in pre-production when this one came out, but I mean, it wasn't in, it, it came out a year later. So they, they hit the gas on it after, after this was done. But I don't know. I'm surprised this one never got, uh, never got any sequels either. And now it won't because, uh, the new thing is supposed to, I don't if you read, you know, half of what you've read about the, the new film that's supposed to be coming out in sometime in 2017, January 13th, 2017. That's what they're saying. That's Friday the 13th. Yeah. They're saying that I also saw something else that that may get pushed back to another Friday the 13th later in the year. I mean, they, I don't know. They, they got a long way to go. I'll believe it when it hits theaters, we'll do it when it comes up. But you know, we're, we're, done with the jason series officially as with this because um freddy versus jason is it's the monster movie mashup that we'll get to uh, next time but before that we got to do final thoughts recommendations and popcorn ratings so ron what are yours for the 2009 friday the 13th uh i this was the one I, i've definitely seen the least of i actually don't know if i'd watched it all the way through until we watched it for this podcast I'm definitely going to say it's in the mid to top if uh, we were throwing all the Jasons together in a, in a ranking system like we did on previous episodes. I think this one would definitely come up somewhere near, uh, you know, middle to large popcorn territory, maybe fourth or fifth best. Uh, it There's uh, lots of there's some good deliberate humor here. Uh, there are some interesting kills. I, I don't think the Tunnel Rat Jason works quite as well as they want it to. 
but I do think the chase through the tunnels was fun uh, that we got uh, towards uh, when Jenna was getting stabbed. So, yeah, I'm going to go a nice solid medium popcorn here. Uh, it's better than I think it should have been, uh, if only because it has a nice uh, ruthlessness without being as meaningless as, say, the deaths in, uh, I believe it was five, where they had to kill, they had to deliberately kill someone every few minutes just to, to, yeah. to kind of carry the movie along. Yeah. So well, I'm going to go medium popcorn. You know, you, if you go back and you were to dig up my review of this where I just you know, scathed it and stuff, I clearly hated this movie when I saw it. And I will admit now, I had not seen a Friday the 13th movie in a long time when I went and saw this one in the theater. So I will credit what I'm about to say in terms of ratings with the fact that we've just watched the entire series now and I'm able to sort of put it in context with what else is out there. And I agree with what you said. If I were to put this in the giant rank of them, it's right in there with the top three or four of them. I mean, it's everything you want in a Jason movie. The effects are awesome. Uh, I like this Jason. People talk about, oh, he could have been anybody in this. Well, I kind of like the fact that Jason's just this big Hulk in the woods. I I was cool for that. I I think that works better for him than some of these others that they've done that with. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Now, there's a lot of throwaway characters in it. But again, knowing the series now and really knowing it as intimately as we both do now, having watched them all again recently... They're right in par for the course, and they're supposed to be. I think that's exactly what they wanted. I still think there's some of it that's weak. Tunnel Rat Jason's not the greatest idea, and they don't explore it well, and they don't explain that mother angle well enough. And there's eh, a couple of this that I'm like, eh, it would have been better if they just stuck with the original 13 kills. There does seem to be a couple of them that are just there to be done. But it's not that bad. And, again, maybe I'm getting soft in my old age, or maybe it is, again, the context of seeing this with the series. But I think this was pretty good. It is. It, moreover, I had a lot of fun watching it. It's a fun one to put on and watch. If it's on during AMC, you know, Fright Fest or whatever, I'll definitely watch it. So uh, it's, it's not that bad. So I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a large popcorn, and I almost feel like I'm overrating it with that. But I think it's better than just a standard. You know what? No, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to give it a good, solid medium popcorn. I can't give this a large popcorn because it is the definition of derivative. I mean, it completely is. But as horror remakes go, you could do a lot worse, in my opinion. So this is good medium popcorn, good Jason fun. And while I wish there had been a sequel to it, they could have gone somewhere else. They probably wouldn't have done it well. So maybe it's good that there is just this one. And and it's to there to be enjoyed. But we are now done with the Friday the 13th series, as it were. We now tag back up with Brian, who is finishing up Nightmare on Elm Street this coming Tuesday with me with its remake. And then next Friday, man, we're putting out Freddy versus Jason. So it's, it's time for our uh, monster mashup tag team uh, event of Shocktober 16. It's just a shame it won't be a Friday the 13th. I, you know, I tried, and it just it wasn't going to work. <laughs> I, it, there were too many films <laughs> to ever get the, ca- to the calendar just has refused to cooperate. It's just, it's just not going to work on this one. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to forgive ourselves for that. But uh, we do get Freddy versus Jason. And, well, look, I'll say it now, too. I, 
I'm one of those people that contends that that's not this not a Freddy. It's not a Jason movie anyway. It's a Freddy movie with Jason in it. So we'll see if I'm right about that or not when we get around to talking about it here uh, in the next week or so. But, folks, thanks for joining us on this latest edition of Filmstrip. Of course, all of our past episodes are on our iTunes feed and also on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.